Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Melissa, Caleb, thank you for joining me um, and for us joining each other, I guess. Um, Today, we wanted to do a little bit of a um, kind of just special thing on the podcast. And that I think is just to talk about a case from our uh, conceptualization model, somatic integration and processing. Mm -hmm. Um, We have the privilege of working with therapists who have been trained in both of the trainings that we have devoted to it, SIP one and two, but then also with clinicians that don't know really what it is at all. And then Mm -hmm. working with clients that uh, obviously, you know, don't know the full scope of the work. And so they're just encountering us as, you know, healers that are hoping to uh, form a therapeutic relationship that actually provides the relief and insight and, you know, growth that they're wanting to to find. Mm -hmm. And so today, Caleb has brought a case that we are going to talk through using to the best of our ability, very precise SIP language. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much a part of who the three of us are at this point, because we were so uh, just intimately connected in the writing process of it, as, as well as with Jen. Um, but we sometimes just start to get creative with it. Uh, I think, you know, mm-hmm. I think of like learning how to play an instrument, you need to learn the basics. And then once you do, you start like just exploring with all kinds of improv and just new stuff. So we're at that point. So we're going to try to come back down to just the rudimentary uh, scales here, so to speak. Remember the basics. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I did a uh, note uh, before we started this, we sort of uh, did the math and had a fun moment of realization that in 2021, we did six SIP trainings, which, uh, that's cool. Pretty phenomenal. That's amazing. <laughs> Given that it was the inaugural year of the training. So as well as that before the first training was given, we said that it would take us, you know, five-ish years to put oh, all of without, you know, it. that was my very reasonable uh estimation that, you know, to get a, a training really going, it takes somewhere in the realm of three to five years, actually. No, just kidding, just six months. So six months. <laughs> six months. It's been um, a wild ride. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I'm curious about, and this is perhaps a little bit of the supervision model that's included with SIP, but uh, just what some of your feelings are, both of you coming to this time of, you know, thinking of a case and um, yeah, just what are you feeling as we're entering this time? I think when we, when we started, you know, thinking of what case we're going to bring, Melissa actually suggested this case because it's one that I've talked to her about and there was this moment of like, yeah, I should probably process that case. Like, and, and like a anticipatory relief because often what happens at Beyond is I come out of a session or I've come out of like a series of sessions with a certain client. And there's that kind of where you know where you're going, but you also know that there's some more things that you'd like to process. And we all run to each other or we have our weekly supervision and we, nail it down with SIP and then there's that moment of like huh okay that feels good makes sense and <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I mean yeah it makes sense like why does this make sense and I think when Melissa suggested it like there was a part of me that was like oh yeah there's some stuff to that case and then it was like oh yeah I should probably process that yeah <laughs> <laughs> what I I think uh part of the reason why I asked you if you'd be willing to process this case is because It's not a case that was easy or went smoothly or ended in the ideal fashion. Yeah. Uh, And I 
think for the purposes of sort of uh, demonstrating what SIP is capable of, um, we get, you know, a very different perspective when we're talking about a case that went really well and was- Slam dunk uh, case. Yes, slam dunk case, whatever those are. Um, But in this case, uh, it, I think is just a great real world example of where a lot of therapists live because there were some features to the case that were very outside of a client's control, certainly outside of oh, yeah. control. Yes. Um, and yet in the midst of that, you know, whirlwind of variables, SIP kind of lets you stay grounded and really understanding why is it happening the way that it's happening? And yeah. how can we hope to end this therapeutic relationship? Well, with the hope of a therapeutic future, whether it's with you or another therapist to set the client up well, um, to potentially be able to re-engage with therapy when she has more power of her own because it's a young client. And that's just yeah. so much of where we live as therapists is, you know, what do we do with the cases that don't go easy? Um, and how do we make sense of them? How do we process them for our clients? How do we process them for ourselves? So that was part of why I was curious if you'd be willing to do this mm-hmm. <laughs> demonstration because it has yeah. some really, uh, important features that I think are useful. Yeah. Yes. So speaking of that, how would you yeah. feel about diving in and kind of sharing the, the introductory material of uh, what were you told about the client when you first got the referral? I believe it was me that gave you the referral. It was, it was <laughs> you that gave the referral. Um, I believe when I, when I first was introduced to the client, even before the session, um, I was told she was a 14 year old male or female um, dealing with kind of a selective mutism, very socially anxious, um, quiet, uh, didn't, uh, was homeschooled, um, lots of siblings, um, really didn't like to leave the house very often, kind of a homebody, um, but also like even in the home, very reclusive. Yes. Um, did some general, like um, what I would see, what I would interpret through attachment theory as some some tendency to compulsive caregive um, and different patterns of interactions. And that's some information that I got from her mother. Um, but when you say compulsive uh, caregive, can you talk a little bit about where kind of you understand that coming from, like why that would be presenting that way? Yeah. Yeah. In, in her dismissive orientation, I think she learned the limit. This, this client learned there's a limit to how, reclusive she can be and how actually there's a limit to productivity and withdrawing. Mm-hmm. And so she'd have to play this role in her family unit of withdrawing, but then coming out and doing something like baking for the family, mm-hmm. doing chores, taking care of other siblings, um, even like sometimes jumping in between siblings and performing like a, like let's like resolve this quickly kind of role. And so it's not like just a blank slate dismissive of she just lived like totally like absent and dissociated the whole time and just sort of like very like reclusive. There was a reclusiveness that then required a further adaptation of I can be reclusive and isolating and that's where I find my safety. But then after a while, that starts to worry my family. So then she learned this like pendulating back and forth of I I get my alone time and I avoid all of the stress of family life. But then I intentionally go into it and do things like cook and clean and um, help mom and help siblings Mm -hmm. in order that everyone just thinks, oh, you're okay. Like there's nothing wrong with you. You're you're out cleaning, you're out, you know, doing what doing stuff. the family needs you to do. Um, and while all the while she's super anxious, but mm-hmm. she's feeling all of that in a dorsal way. So she's super activated, but she doesn't feel like she could reach out, which mm-hmm. is where this like selective mutism, but suffering underneath came about until she finally, her mom started to kind of, I don't want to say become frustrated, but really worried with not only like the anxiousness in public, but then the anxiousness with the the inability to talk through it uh, with the mutism. So 
that's kind of where I came to know the client. Um, yeah. was, I love that you're picking up on like the, the dorsal and by that we're talking about polyvagal theory and yeah. wherein you have this like body full of energy, but nowhere to go because, and this is some SIP two language, like the objective demands on her as an individual within the system of her family had a very fine line that she could walk. Or sometimes mm-hmm. I'll say with clients, like the space that she was allowed to occupy was increasingly small. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, you know, relevant context. The the reason why this referral went to Caleb is because I know this family really well. And I knew that Caleb's personality would be an excellent fit for this client um, because of <laughs> her struggles with uh, opening up to anybody that has um, what is experienced as a strong or pushy personality. Um, that is like, the biggest landmine, uh, for her ever is to feel put on the spot. And, uh, she's the second oldest girl of five children that are all one year apart. Uh, very religious family. Mother has uh, PTSD and an eating disorder has her whole life. Um, mom has never been able to work. She's had, you know, little part-time jobs here and there, but she herself has not been able to function outside of the home. She would try to get a job and not be able to, to do it. Um, and so all of that is kind of the, the background of this very high anxiety, high stress home with tremendous relational pressure all the time. Um, and so when I was, you know, talking to the mother and kind of observing these dynamics, um, imagining who this child could connect with and feel, uh, open to actually begin to explore her own, uh, humanness, which had been so disallowed in her family dynamics. Um, the thing that stood out to me, Caleb, that I felt like in your personality would be a good match for her is your own, uh, well in Enneagram language, nineness, (laughs) Yeah. uh, but the, the soft, quiet, but still, um, so inviting and you're very comfortable with slow communication yes and allowing things to unfold very gently and because of the way that her nervous system was showing up at that that time it was so obvious that she was going to need a tremendous amount of relational safety before any kind of openness was going to occur And uh, that uh, bore out, um, you know, what you were able to achieve with her in the first few sessions was remarkable considering how she was showing up socially in other spaces. Yeah. Can you talk about those early sessions and what that felt like to you? I was going to say, yeah, because a lot of like what we're talking about is I had no idea (laughs) at the start. What I, what I knew was that she was very socially anxious and that it was causing kind of problems for her because she wanted to do things like go to the theme parks and um, be able to like go to the mall and different things like that. Even eventually she desired to get a job. Yeah, yeah. have friends and just like couldn't. Her, her system would just shut down to go into this very quiet, um, still kind of frozen state. Do you feel like that was a conscious like narrative? Like I can't do those things? Yeah. Oh yeah. She's yeah. Very yeah. much like adopting that story yeah. Of, yeah. of that um, right. and making sense of it. It's just like, I'm socially anxious. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so story follow follows story. There we go. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Those first couple of sessions were so much. And like Melissa, when you're talking about like the meeting her at her processing speed, so much of those like initial sessions were, and, and they're virtual. So Mm-hmm. I would just like be super kind of, I'm trying to like make it very explicit, like on the camera of like my body is kind of curled inward and, and I'm leaning forward and I'm looking very closely at the, the screen and just trying to feel kind of what she's saying, but allowing right. there to be so much space. Yeah. And you're and matching her tuning, energy. Yeah. And attuning to that very low frequency energy level. What, what I noticed in those first couple sessions is by the end of the session, I would start to see just a little bit of what, what's called vitality affect, mm-hmm. which are like micro expressions on the face and in the body. And 
and cues, especially like the most I got from her was vocal tone. The mm-hmm. vocal tone and the prosody in her tone was like a key indicator of her like state, whether it was she's coming out of that frozenness or she's going into it, mm-hmm. um, which is the strategy. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I think first you're, of all, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. We're on Zoom, so there's this strange delay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think one of the really important components of those first few sessions, which perhaps is um, what you know maybe led to some of the just big effect, was the meaning you were able to make of her vitality affects, like even in yourself, that you noticed yep. them not as a problem, but as I, sometimes I call it like uh, hidden hope. Or like, uh, like this, it's existing right below the surface that they created in the object, but it's there and it's truly them. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you're, you're picking up on that, noting it as novel, which then through that, you know, right brain to right brain synchrony, she picks up as you being novel. And yeah. so it's this yeah. dance that emerges Potentially now. safe. Yeah. Like, oh, he's making a lot of very intimate kind of like noticings of me. Yes. Yeah. In his body. And so that's interesting. So maybe I'll be more noticing, noticing without judgment. You know, one of the things we focus a lot on in SIP is how do we provide uh, profound disconfirming experiences for our clients um, because they're constantly being invaded by their previous experience. And so for this client, when you observed her quietness, but she experienced that observation without judgment, without reproach, without some you know, plan of how we're going to get you to talk louder, which is what she had previously experienced. You just yep. came with curiosity and suddenly her tone changes, yeah. which is you know, exactly what we would expect that as the, the safety, the relational safety increases, the need for her strategy of near disappearance, right? Because that's basically what was happening for her is, you know, how uh, invisible can I be while still being visible? So I don't get, get in more trouble, right? What a precarious balancing act for a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Invisible, but just visible enough. Translucent. Uh, yeah. 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 Translucent. That's a good word. Um, so when she met that disconfirming experience in you of observing uh, that quietness, observing the way that she showed up without judgment um, I'm curious, how did her system begin to respond and shift with those uh, bids for safety and connection? Yeah, I think it I think it was in the second session where she was again going into that very quiet tone, and it was like a whisper. Mm-hmm. So like I like could barely hear. I was turning my sound up at like the first sessions I had headphones on. And I sound canceling. So I was like trying to just really hear everything. And I remember having a session where I just said, like, in my own experience, it feels like really dark and kind of cold in this space. Because we were talking about like what it means to inhabit this. And I just remember that was like one moment where she like looked at the camera really intently. Like she would she'd kind of do the, you know, like the off gaze and process quietly. But then she like looked at me in the camera and said like, yeah. And I, I, I remember like ever, I asked something along the lines of like, does, does anyone else know like what this actually feels like? And like, we talk a lot about wanting to go out and do these things, but I wonder if, has anyone ever like, just like noticed what it's like to be here in this like cold, shut down frozen state and I remember her saying no she didn't quite feel like it she felt like maybe her brother's friend who she was kind of close to kind of knew kind of what she was feeling because he had expressed some similar things Mm -hmm. and I I like just took it upon myself to say like well what would it be like if I maybe communicated this to your mom and then kind of just like that idea of if it feels like too much because that was my gut was telling me for her to then leave this session and go tell her mom that was going to be too much too soon. So then I felt like, okay, well, what if I went and did that? And then that's kind of shifting. I'm going to advocate for her and hopes that eventually we can get to the place where she's starting to notice that she can start to advocate for herself because now she has an internal working model of expressing kind of, this is where I'm at and someone positively responds. And so 
that's the model I was hoping to build. It wasn't until I started talking to her mom and got this like very charged um, like support of what I was saying. And also this like the energy was so like sharp and like, yeah. yes, let's okay, go. Let's way more about this. that. Yeah. That, like, like, can you like, so taking your body back into that moment where you're encountering, encountering the energy of mother coming in that is verbally so full of support. And yet there's this feeling of edge sharpness, uh, lack of congruence. And so how did you make sense of that and then work with that when it was showing up that way? Yeah, I think I, I started in that moment. I remember I had to, I was actually in my car making that phone call and I had to like get out of my car and start walking <laughs> and like pacing just because sometimes when I'm in, in the car calling, like if their energy is high and I need higher energy to kind of match it, I need to walk. I need to get that sympathetic out. And so I remember having to walk and just processing with her. Like, I know we want to get to a place where she feels more confident, but one of the things that we have to begin with is like setting the foundation of like, there has to be connection before there and safety before there's ever change. Um, because any change made out of a lack of safety is just going to be a strategy that's separate from the rest of the person. Yeah. And I remember her like, what I felt was like a, yeah, that's awesome. And I'm totally willing to do that, but also a little bit of like a, like, I'm not quite sure like what that means. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was like communicated to me. Okay. So this is like, we're going to, we're going to do some, some individual therapy, but also some like partnering with mom and then some psychoeducation and yeah. So I then wanna, therapy. Then uh, Sorry. I want to go like take one more, maybe just like deeper loop on this idea of you encountering your client in a space of total, um, you know, novel safety, mm -hmm. like you saw something and asked, you know, intersubjectively, does anyone else know what I now am coming to know about you? And that was where it was like, no, and I don't really know. And so even like your decision, and I, I think this would be just labeled by the larger counseling field as just like advocacy. Like, yeah, you advocated for your client. But yeah. that is so, there's so, so, so much more to this than just, yes, you advocated effectively for your client. Mm -hmm. You did something in introducing the subjectivity of this client to her own mother, something that she herself does not know, but yeah. is outwardly in support of like, yes, this makes sense. And that to me is how I start to make sense of why there was that sharpness because while excited, it's also this moment of how do I not, you know, like what, do, why all of these now questions that are coming out of, well, why can't it just change? And why can't we get to a different place? And yeah, yeah. Okay. I support you and what we're doing and, you know, yeah. So, so Caleb, before you answer all of this, I want to share a piece of this story that I'm not sure that I've ever shared with you. And this was a conversation that I had with mother before I made the referral to you. And it was one of the moments that like prompted like, Oh, I, I got to talk to Caleb. <laughs> mm. So I'm talking to the mother and she said, yeah, my daughter said something really weird to me the other day. I was asking her why out of everybody in the family, she's the only one that likes cats. And this 14 year old girl says to her mother, because the cats are the only ones that ever choose me. And mother's response to that profound statement was, and so I guess we'll just always have to have a cat in the house. <laughs> yeah. So in that moment, I realized, uh, <laughs> yes, a, a referral is required. And so I feel like that snippet of a story from an SIP lens just sort of lays out very practically everything that we're talking about. Um, the, the strategy yeah. of mother in that moment is, oh, I'm willing to do what I need to do, but just tell me the practical thing to do. I guess I'll just always make sure she has a cat. <laughs> yeah. And the, the beauty for me in SIP is that that doesn't, like we say, there's no heroes, no villains. Like 
-hmm. I can understand why the mother says that because the mother has like five other children in the house Mm -hmm. and the dad works. So Mm -hmm. like she is literally like the felt sense I had was like she, the me working with the client was like, okay, this thing is on fire. So like we need to go to therapy, put out the fire, get everybody back to like where we're okay. And we had just have like baseline level of stress and then like, we're good. Yeah. So then for her, like when I started partnering with her and from that point on, I was having weekly phone calls with mom as well. So I would have session with client phone call with mom afterwards to sort of process. And eventually what happened was um, I would have session with client and the last 10 to 15 minutes, mom would come in the room and then we'd all three kind of have some processing about what was talked about and how mom could partner. And a, a lot of, to me, the majority of like a super big spike in the treatment outcomes at one point was mom then became like a subjective teammate to client. So my client started to feel like she was being seen differently from the rest of the family. And that's where she started to really shine. And it's from that point where my client was able to go to a theme park on a family vacation and have no, no uh, panic attacks, no selectively mute like moments, um, no shutdowns. She was very like, the report was, it was a seamless vacation. Um, my client also went and got a job and worked at McDonald's, which if you know McDonald's, it's the least, uh, or it's like one of the most stressful places yeah. to have a job. And um, she works at the register, which means she's talking. I was going to say, selective mutism is not an option no. at this place yeah. of work. No. Yeah. 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 Through, through a mask, she is having to communicate with strangers all day long. So projecting yeah. her own yeah. voice. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and I'm just to backtrack a little bit, what I did with the client and the mom was really find like moments where her body felt safe in connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of it was safe in connection with me. Some of it was safe in connection with a virtual other advocate. So one of the things that was game changing for her was that she asked her mother to buy sound canceling headphones that were not wired. So they were pretty discreet. And she had this like, there was something when an Olivia Rodrigo song came on, which I don't know if you've heard of Olivia Rodrigo. She sings about breakups, but she's got a very powerful voice. Um, When she would listen to her music, she would have that. And we listened to it in session. So one mm. session, she played it on her end and I played it. We hit start at the same time. I listened to my headphones. She listened in hers. Yeah. And she felt this sort of like, oof, like relaxation. She was smiling. Her voice got very kind of like uh, friendly and prosodic. She started talking more. So then my work with her and the mom was to bolster up all of these little anchor points and so if if she couldn't find anchoring on her own she went to mom and there was a co-anchoring that we had created together in those moments and so there was this like giant teamwork so that's when the theme park the job all of that sort of boom yeah and i i think there's a piece there that i just really want to hone in on of the you you in that experience again noting how special all of these things were just so much validation and de-shaming, you know, just yeah. moments in this, in this time, just constantly updating these uh, senses of self and other as you're working with this person. But in this, you are co-discovering a new story somatically in her, a, yeah. new, a new narrative of what it's like, you know, no, I don't have to be translucent. I can be, center stage i can be strong but then i can also have boundaries and come back and if i don't have enough resources i can recruit the help of another Mm -hmm. yes yeah that's exactly yeah and for her to like really inhabit um we called it the confident state so yeah that's awesome do we do we need to plug in find the confident state 
take out. And that was like a whole session of practicing, putting in, feeling it, taking out, yeah. staying with the confidence, not letting it go. Yeah. And well, yeah. I, I just want to highlight that part, Caleb, of, of one of the ways that we work um, really carefully and precisely, you know, through SIP is slowing down the work and staying with what's happening in the body in these really intricate ways and kind of being with the client and creating that anchor and safety while they feel these new ways of being in their body uh, to create those templates for them so that they can reference them, which, you know, you're describing that like uh, back and forth pendulation right there in session, like you're doing it with her and, and staying co-regulated with her so that she's getting to have that experience with another human present, watching her do it and saying yes to it and cheering her on in that. So her body uh, has that template of feeling confident in the face of another human being. Yeah. That's Um, why I think it, it, it can't be overstated how important it is to co-discover those new narratives somatically, because you could say, okay, what we're going to do today is identify a confident narrative. Right. And talk about what confidence means and when do you feel confident, but instead you went into a confident state with her and intricately moved around and explored that state in her own body and like picked up the pieces of confidence and, you know, felt the edges together so that it was alive in her body. And that template is now in her nervous system. Yeah. Actually, you saying that reminds me, I have somewhere I should pull it up. One of the most like precise whiteboard sessions on looping I ever did was on this client because it was so crystal clear as to like when we were going somatically and sensed orientation and then we got to this apex and then we made sense of it with a story and then we were able to launch off and do several looping rounds yeah Um, really feeling like the starting with yeah, really feeling like the power of that going up on the right side first of this, you know, uh, unconscious right brain felt sense, then into articulation and seeking congruence between the two, then yeah. anchoring there in that moment, and then launching again into another yep. uh, exploratory loop around yeah. a sensation. Yeah. Yeah. I want to real fast because we're kind of getting close on time. Yeah. Um, talk about the reality of this case and how yeah, I'm I think it'd be sort great. of presently making sense of how it didn't end the way I wanted it to right. as a therapist that has an idea of what's healthy. Um, what seemed to happen to me was that as we, as my client became more, not only self-aware, but also like inhabiting the congruence of that awareness and owning that interpersonally, and saying like, I don't like that, I want that, I'm not gonna do that, I'm going to do that. And being very human and owning her desire, it started to come with limitations that the family unit couldn't do. So she wanted to get her license in the stress of the family unit that didn't become possible because the mom just was so busy and she had she had just gotten a job and so, the mom and the dad are both working, kids are homeschooled, the getting the license wasn't happening. So that was really frustrating for my client. Then my client wanted to go out and get into a youth group community. Well, the, the family is stretched so thin between all the siblings that they couldn't find a, a church that everyone liked. And so my client's preference got kind of put on the back burner and didn't go to the one church that had a big youth group that she thought she could make friends at. They went to another church that some of the other parties liked a little bit more. So there were these moments where then my client's desire was coming up against the family kind of structure and what was the normal baseline functioning for that family unit. Mm -hmm. And I had a session with her in which she was expressing, like she came to session and I knew like, In my body, I knew she was back Mm -hmm. to like a regressive state, a very quiet, like before this, she was coming to session and she would start talking without me asking any questions. Mm -hmm. And then when I had a session, it was after a couple of weeks of not meeting, came back to a session and it was like, I was back to 
I had to meet her really low down. Um, and she expressed a lot of kind of depressive affect, a lot of kind of like, I don't, I don't see anything changing. There's like, I don't, I, I'm sad with my life. I'm frustrated with my life. Um, lots of kind of just depressive affect state statements. And so me kind of feeling that out was like, okay, this seems like a moment where maybe we can lean on where we've been before and kind of recall our safety anchors, our kind of um, interpersonally, what was safe for her and helpful for her. So then uh, we did a little bit of anchoring and safety in that session, but it still felt like kind of off. And so at the end of the session, we talked about like, you know, it seemed like it was helpful last time to include mom in these moments and to get a sense of like, you're not alone and your, your experience matters. And so I talked about reaching out to mom. She didn't feel like she wanted to do that. And she said, because there was some stress in the home and some different factors. And so I said, well, what if I did like, you know, I feel confident I'm a little removed. I can be kind of like a, a detached figure that sort of speaks on kind of what is happening and maybe that will help your mom kind of be more open to that. She's like, yeah, you can do that. Um, but I, I don't want it to be during the session. So I was like, okay. I gave mom a call after didn't seem any different from before in my head. Um, my, the mom didn't answer. So I shot her kind of an update text. Um, she responded with like, Hey, like, thank you so much for this update. I really know that um, you're, the client is struggling, um, but she said, but we're gonna start doing some things like skiing here in a couple of weeks, which is something she likes and that'll be good. School's gonna end, so that should be a huge stress relief. And so I'm pretty hopeful for the future. I was like, okay. I didn't respond. And then a couple hours later, I got another text message that said, hey, actually, um, just found out some things are happening financially so that isn't going to be able to do therapy anymore um, because we can't afford it. Um, but I'm hopeful that with everything that you've equipped her with and what has happened so far in therapy that we can figure this out. So I said, oh, that's a, I, I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate you being honest. I would love to offer pro bono if you need. Um, I'm more than willing to do that. I think we're at a pivotal point. My gut was saying we're at a really kind of insecure moment yeah. where my client was at the edge of like really regressing. And she was like, well, I think like we're good. Um, I appreciate the offer, but mm. I think we'll stop for right now. And so then what was that text like for you, Caleb? Um, well, like incredibly disorienting. Yeah. I think the other disorienting part, well, actually the, the part that made it make sense was that then my client texted me and said, hey, um, I think there's been a huge misunderstanding. I just want you to know that like what I said last session, like that was just me having a day. I didn't really mean that. Um, I'm re I really appreciate all that you've helped me with. And uh, I don't think I need to do therapy anymore. And I was like, Oh, that to me felt very much like, okay, there's this like sense that my client got were, got a felt sense that what it would take for her to really inhabit her and to engage. A true subjectivity. Yeah. True subjectivity. And too costly. It was going to cost too much. It was going to cost too much stress. So then there's this unconscious communication within the family that just said, let's just, let's just pull back. Go back in time. Yeah. Yep. And so mm -hmm. I offered, you know, my number, I said, Hey, if you need a session, even if it's just to like, Hey, can we like remind me about some of the anchorings that we talked about mm -hmm. some of the things that were helpful in the past or how do we make sense of this? Um, I said like, do not hesitate to reach out. I'd love to, even if it's just like a 30 minute quick zoom, we can do that. Um, and she said, like, thank you so much. You've been such a huge help. I really appreciate all that you've done. Um, and I'll text you if I need you. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where the session ended. So the context of the timing of all of that is so fascinating to me because it 
happened identically at the point where the family found out that mother was going to have to have a series of back surgeries mm-hmm. and was going to be laid up for many weeks. And the, the needs on the two oldest daughters um, are the requirements to tend to the family in mom's absence. And so here comes all of that old pattern and therefore all of the old strategies came rushing back in to say, my needs do not matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The felt sense that matter. the object yeah. that I play is too important to abandon yeah. and the strain and stress that would I, that I'd be facing. Should I do that is it's not tenable. Yeah. 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 So we could do, we could do work to kind of foster um, subjectivity, but there was a limit to the subjective presence that she could inhabit in that family unit. And so then for me, making sense of that is, okay, if she was to come back and say, hey, I need to process this, I would really love to, to have the opportunity to say, like, here's where we notice when we can be subjective. And here's when, you know, maybe circumstances force us to play the objective role. Mm -hmm. And what is it like to do that, but then to put a timestamp on it to say, you know, I can only do this this long before I start to feel some of that anxiety, some of that stress, and then I'm curling back in. Yeah, that, that to me is the metaphor that I try to foster is that, can we do an internal updating before forcing it into the external, into the objective? Because if it creates too much of a slapback kind of reaction, mm-hmm. it's going to be very difficult to believe that this is an actual, you know, a potential way of being in the world. And that to me is where, yes, I I totally am in agreement of, you know, can we have something internally that we know we're safe, we feel safe, we know what is actually creating this felt sense of threat. And then to be able to observe the objects that we play in the, in the interim. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the reality is whenever we're working with young clients that don't have as much power and autonomy is it's true for her that it is not relationally safe to expose her subjectivity in any kind of public way. Or if it is, it is always limited. Um, And if it is, there is always tremendous competition, which is like worst case scenario for her particular strategies and personality. Um, And by observation, it is not relationally safe for her. Um, the, the amount of uh, pushback um, that she experiences by observation, observing her other uh, siblings when they show up with big emotion, et cetera, it, it really genuinely is too risky. Um, and I think, you know, this case is just such a, uh, um, a perfect presentation of we don't always get the exact results that we hope for. But we don't have to end a case or leave a case uh, not feeling like we have some groundedness and what in the world did we just experience with our clients. Um, And as therapists, burnout and longevity in the field have everything to do with us feeling like we can make sense of our experiences and have some kind of roadmap of what in the world are we trying to do, even when we hit those bumps or even when um, they have to go for a while and we're hoping they come back. How do we know where we are on that roadmap? And, you know, this is something that we talk about all the time. Case conceptualization helps us know where we are, know where we've been, know where we're going to go and relieves a tremendous amount of anxiety in the work that we do both for us and our clients. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, Caleb had to jump off um, because we'll of be the, with another client. To go be with another client. Yes. <laughs> One thing Zoom does afford us is that we can continue talking, yes. um, but you know, I know that this session feels like it kind of ended on a cliffhanger, <laughs> a little bit of like, well, where are we at now? But what are we I, to do? Yeah. One of the reasons that I think, you know, we really wanted to do this episode or just this conversation was to highlight both. Well, really, I just think the, the ability that SIP affords us as clinicians, um, which to me is just an unparalleled amount of, of precision and yeah. It's, it's truly like an x-ray microscope <laughs> to mm-hmm. go into any moment of the therapeutic encounter, whether it be a single session, a single moment in that session, or the therapeutic journey as a whole. 
years long even to be able to understand what is really going on in this client's presentation, in the relationship that forms between us and the goals that we have selected, uh, accomplished, uh, reselected, um, you know, how do we make sense and contextualize this therapeutic moment yeah. uh, together? Yeah. And I, you know, I think that, uh, being able to talk with other therapists in this way. One of the things I love, it's like, we just talked for almost an hour about a case and never once did any of us feel compelled to say, well, did you try this intervention? Right. What happened, right. What happened when you tried this intervention? Right. 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 Um, or just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall to see what may or may not work. Um, Tremendous and, amount of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just exploration that, uh, you know, really honors the humanity of everybody involved, you know, therapists like included. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, Caleb's uh, humanity in that the clients, the mothers, you know, the rest of the family, that everybody is included in, in our understanding of, you know, what makes this unique presentation and how do we work with it in a way that uh, is as gentle, but also as powerful as possible. Um, and, you know, from an SIP perspective, the hope of an encounter like this, while it didn't end well, is that that child now has an internalized template, an embodied experience mm. of an adult outside of her family saying who you are and what is inside you matters and is seeable and knowable. Mm. And so going into her adult life, as she begins to gain more autonomy and more ability to make decisions for herself, she at least has some experience of another person entering into that intersubjective space with her and getting it and wanting to get it and feeling that with her. And so even though she could not fully say yes now, that experience will, you know, potentially and hopefully be growing internally yeah little bit by little bit so that when she has another encounter in the future with somebody that says, I think I see you, she'll yeah. at least know that that can be real. It's and truly, it's truly a felt experience um, to me in session. One of my favorites just of being human and Caleb did such a good job of describing it of even like the way the client was presenting on zoom of yeah. facing away, facing away. And as she came to notice Caleb's attention, she talked and then looked yeah. and that moment of catching their gaze for the first mm -hmm. time in that yeah. novel way to me is just one of the most precious moments of the human experience. Like yeah. I'm talking in my object, I'm talking my object, I'm receiving input though, that this person sees through it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I flash a look that says, oh, you just saw me. Yeah. And that's different. That's crazy. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, had some recent encounters with the family and, you know, without putting that client on the spot, there was a couple of incredibly precious little moments where she would catch my eye or I would catch hers. And there was yeah. a full human looking at me. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. I'm, I had never had that with her before. That's different. And to me, that means that that little seed of what Caleb had created in those encounters with her it's there. And now uh, it has that potential to be fostered in future relationships, even if it's never safe for her and her actual family of origin, she may never get to do it there, but maybe she will get to do it in other yeah. spaces and places. And that is the hope for me of, you know, if it's possible here, maybe it could be possible somewhere else. That's right. Yeah. Oh, what a lovely conversation. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, really it is. Um, yeah. But, Thank you for, for taking the time to listen to this. Um, mm -hmm. I hope that it was encouraging. And we have many um, offerings for the SIP training, yeah. um, both one and two, uh, it, just coming up. So check us out um, on our website and go to the trainings tabs. That's at beyondhealingcenter.com. And in the trainings tab, you can uh, see all the upcoming offerings and where they're located. We've done a lot of work to make sure that we have hybrid options available. Mm -hmm. um, so you can tune in from all over the world. That's right. And uh, a new thing in 2022 is that we've actually scheduled a training uh, of SIP one in the uh, New Zealand and Australia time zone. UTC, yes. UTC plus 13, I think yes. is the accurate the designation. Zone. Yep. <laughs> Because we know that we have so many uh, people that listen in uh, from that area of the world and uh, the time zone just makes it impossible. 
That's right. Who you as training, That's right. uh, even if it is virtual. And so we are uh, selecting those dates and they will be on our website uh, very soon. So if you're in that part of the world and you're interested in joining us, it'll be 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. our time. But that means it'll be uh, the, the right time for you guys. Yeah. So we might be a little extra sleepy, but that's yeah. well worth it. And if it. you're in the another time zone and like that too. Yeah, that works better. That sounds yes. great. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And we hope to see you at one of our trainings soon. See you soon. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media. Beyond Trauma is an educational podcast on the journey of trauma therapy and what it means to be humans who have been hurt, but are learning to recover and grow, living the life we all want of safety and connection. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear. The Evidence-Based Therapist is an educational podcast where we read so you don't have to. On this podcast, we discuss seminal, recent, and relevant research on psychotherapeutics and the embodied relational sciences. How do we know what is evidence-based and how do we use it in our practice? You'll find out on the EBT podcast.